Hey, party people. Thanks for downloading our podcast, This American Horror Story. This is our review for the seventh episode of season four. Let's just jump right on in. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my cool co-host... Chris Houston. Thanks for that uh, qualification there. I am pretty cool. I just wanted everyone to know what's going on, man. You're pretty cool, too, though. Um, not much. We uh, just fought through a bunch of technical issues, and we're, we're up and recording, so that's good. That's how this season has been going, I'm afraid, but we battle through uh, just like... You know, um, Eve. Eve battled through to uh, kick some Dell ass, that which was, was awesome. Maybe my favorite scene of this whole episode. Yeah. Um, uh, before we dive into anything, I want to revisit something we haven't been able to do in a while. What are you drinking this evening? I am drinking water, but I had a glass of wine a minute ago. I'm trying to cool off. I, I went a little hard uh, the night before, so I'm trying okay. to chill a bit. But. Uh, and because I'll be going hard this weekend and into Thanksgiving because it's, you know, holidays and family and, you know, so I'm, I'm preparing for that trip. What are you drinking? I'm drinking bourbon neat because it has been that kind of week and I am mm. perfectly fine with it. Uh, speaking of next week, we do want to inform everybody that uh, there is no episode next week. Um, I think that instead FX is airing The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, you know, it's the night before Thanksgiving, so we'll have a little bit of a week off, maybe some time to stew on everything that's going on in the show right now, and we'll be back the week after, I think. So we'll look forward to talking to you guys uh, again then. But for now, I definitely want to dig uh, into uh, this episode, which is called Test of Strength. Um, of course, first, I want to remind everybody that they can join the conversation with us. We love that at facebook.com slash this American Horror Story podcast and email us your questions and comments at this American Horror Story at gmail.com. Um, oh, of course, and go check us out on iTunes, rate us, review us. We really love that. Um, we love your critiques, too. We take it into consideration and we try to improve all the time. Always improving, right, Chris? Yep, always, always. So, without further ado, I want to go ahead and start talking about test. Of strength. Now, in this episode, we're opening right where we left off from last episode. Um, of course, back at the B- Mott's household. Um, unfortunately, this is the only scene we get to see Dandy in this episode, right. which, considering awesome. that he's pretty much my favorite character, <laughs> it's uh, this was a disappointment for me. It um, was. It was a little sad to see how quickly... Yeah, they moved away from that. But also, it was kind of surprising how we reacted. I thought he was going to go chase... I guess we should talk about what happened. But, <laughs> right. but how he, why he didn't chase the girls back to uh, the freak show and start killing some freaks or doing his thing. Well, so, as you are basically, you know, as we're talking about, Jimmy uh, went to Gloria and Dandy's house um, because he had a hunch that perhaps that is where Elsa uh, sold them off in the previous episode. And um, he did find them there, and surprisingly, Dandy let him into the house um, we saw at the end of last episode to come see the girls. And so uh, we see this scene where Jimmy comes into Dandy's creepy bedroom, and they're eating ice cream, and um, he finds Bet and Dot. And so, also, I just want to note this awesome line from Gloria about how the girls have been treated well and have had a daily regimen of vitamins, vitamins and foie gras, which brought back a pink to their pallor. Um, Delicious. Daily vitamins and foie gras. That sounds. It does sound like a, maybe they stuffed. So foie gras is when uh, you overfeed a duck, so it has like a super fatty liver. Uh, liver, and so maybe or they deuce, fed yeah. so many vitamins to this duck or liver that they were eating a really vitamin pumped foie gras. No, not really, but um, <laughs> that, I thought that was pretty gross. But anyway, so they're actually basically Jimmy comes in and sees that they're not prisoners. They're living a pretty okay life, uh, but Jimmy kind of. Uh, entreats them to come back to the freak show where they belong. Um, now, he also, when Dandy talks, seems to make the connection in his head that Dandy's voice is the same voice as the clown that was killing people, clown number two, back with Twisty. Right. That was cool. 
So he's kind of playing detective here a little bit and putting together the pieces, although he doesn't really act on it this episode at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems really like Bet and Dot are not really sure what they want to do at first um, until Dandy kind of says something that sets Dot off. Because remember, Dot before is thinking basically she's going to take advantage of Dandy to pay for her surgery to get, mm-hmm. you know, so the, the twins are split up. But Dandy had read her diary and he says to Dot, I would never let you get that surgery. And so that but, kind of seems to be the um, decision maker for them. Right. It was sweet to see, you know, obviously Dot was probably going to want to go once she realized Dandy knew what she or her um, ulterior motive was. But when when they ask uh, Bet and Bet, you know, chooses her sister, I thought that was actually kind of sweet. And you actually see kind of an expression on um, Dot's face where it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a little it was heartwarming. You don't see them get along with each other that well, or well, choose that, each other. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you is, you know, Bet here says she chooses her sister always. But before, you know, she was so happy with Dandy and with all the kind of um, luxuries that he gave them and the way that he treated them. And I think he even says to Bet that, you know, or, you know we're falling in love is what Dandy says to her. So mm-hmm. what made her cha- decide to go with her sister this time? Because that seemed kind of out of character to, you know... From what we see, to trade in this lavish lifestyle and possibly true love for, you know, going back to the freak show. Yeah, no, it's a good question, and I think maybe historically she's been with her sister so long that she's always—it's like your family or your kid or something like that. You're always going to choose them because that's, you know, and she she kind of has to, I guess, because she's stuck with her. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, (laughs) but yeah, I think it was just out of. uh, the longevity of their relationship with each other. I think that that might be part of it. I also think she might have some ulterior motives mm. um, because, you know, we know that Bet does not want the surgery to happen. And we know that Dot does want the surgery to happen. Although you would think that she, you know, Bet would um, like them to stay with Dandy now that she knows that he wouldn't let the surgery happen. But at the same time, maybe what she's actually feeling like she's doing is that by being nice to Dot, and kind of making her feel guilty that maybe, you know, she'll convince Dot that she doesn't want to do the surgery anymore because she likes her sister too much. Um, that's one of the things I'm thinking because obviously it seemed like a device that was kind of meant to make uh, Dot feel guilty after them just, you know, just referencing the surgery recently. And as we all know, when that surgery takes place, only one of them can live pretty much. Right. Um, there's only right. one heart. There's only one of all the organs. So. And, of course, so they decide to leave, and at this point, it kind of seems... This was a super creepy uh, look from Dandy. It was almost a, like a The Shining or um, Clockwork Orange kind of look on his face here as they kind of get the slow zoom out. And it seems like his fury is boiling over, but you're right, he doesn't chase after them. He uh, doesn't flip out or, or immediately kill anybody. Um, it seems like he's maybe plotting something. I was wondering what you thought was going on in his head. I, I was just surprised he didn't run after them or do any, like, you know, he, we've seen him snap on uh, Dora and just go right up and kill someone. So it was just a little weird to see him not react right away. Um, and maybe he's becoming a little more mature in his uh, sociopathic ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you said, like by plotting, perhaps. Um, obviously, this isn't the end of Dandy, and he's definitely going to put his clown stuff back on and start killing people again. But, I, I, yeah, I don't know what his plan's going to be. And another thing, I mean, maybe he legitimately loves the girls. And so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, he doesn't want to, you know, he's already painted himself as a hero in front of them saying, well, it wasn't Jimmy who killed Twisty, it was me. Yeah. And so maybe he doesn't want to, um, you know, despite the fact that they're leaving him, he doesn't want to, maybe he still is hoping to win them back somehow or something like that. And he doesn't mm-hmm. want to look bad in their eyes by freaking out and killing somebody in front of them. Um. Although, I mean, we've seen in the past, he doesn't appear to have the best self-control. So it's kind of impressive he's you know, able to uh, stay composed at this point in time. Right. But yeah, so that's, that's the, the most we see of him this episode, unfortunately. But I think we'll be seeing a lot more of him coming up pretty soon. Pro- I th- and I definitely think he'll be pulling out the clown killer masks uh, pretty mm-hmm. quickly. So uh, I kind of divided the plot into three basic storylines, and we'll kind of go through them one by one. Okay. Um, First one I want to talk about is uh, kind of just following the twin storyline mm-hmm. along here a little bit. And it's when, you know, when we come back from the inter- the credits, we have Jimmy singing Come As You Are by Nirvana. Uh, Woof. 
That's what I was going to ask is, like, first of all, why this song? Second of all, what did you think of the performance? I mean... I, I didn't think it was very good. I didn't think it was, like, terrible, but I, I just... Ugh. I mean, Kurt Cobain, just... What are you doing? <laughs> it's such a weird song, and and Evan Peters, I'm sure he has a fine voice, but it was just so affected. It felt kind of like a very Moulin Rouge type thing, but it didn't work for me at all. And I liked the musical numbers for the most part, but I don't know. What did you think? I feel like at this point, you know, especially because they're no longer doing it every single episode, the musical pieces are feeling more and more forced to me. And now mm-hmm. it's just getting confusing because, you know, last week or maybe it was, you know, um, two weeks ago, we had Elsa singing a song that was, you know, that was right for the time period. And now we're back to this anachronistic song. And it's not really, it doesn't really make any sense for Jimmy because when has he ever had, you know, made any indication he was interested in singing? And now mm-hmm. he insists that this is going to be like in the middle right. of his show. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, Jimmy. <laughs> It, it, it just doesn't make sense. It just seems like a kind of uh, shiny thing that they're trying to throw in to be interesting. Um, so I wasn't a fan of that, but I did like the fact that uh, Benton Dot snuck up on Elsa from behind. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Elsa's trying to act all smug, and then Jimmy says to her, we don't take orders from liars, and that's when the twins show up. Uh, and so, of course, the community of you know people at the Freak Show accuse Elsa of you know selling off Benton Dot, but... Dot lies to everybody and says that Elsa actually helped them. Right. So what – basically she says that, you know, they wanted to run away and Elsa took them over to, to Dandy and uh, Glory's house. So um, what is going through Dot's mind at this point in time? Because obviously Bet is about to tell the truth. Right. I I honestly when, – when Dot said to Bet or to Bet through their telepathy thing, um, like, yo, I got this. And we know Dot's kind of, as we've seen with her interactions with Dandy, she is uh, a manipulator, and she knows how to play her cards. So I didn't know what her plan was going to be, but we knew she was going to do something where she could, you know, exploit Elsa and that lie, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of could first, you foresaw the blackmail kind of coming after that. I didn't know what it would be exactly, but I knew she was going to use something like, yeah, hold that over Elsa in some way. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, blackmail. <laughs> And so uh, let's talk about, um, you know, Elsa wants to know what the twins want after this. And they sit down at the tent. And, um, and I like, I really liked how they did the negotiating tactics in this piece where, like, mm-hmm. you know, Dot was sending telepathy to Bet that, like, she should ask for 20% and, like, all these kind of frivolous stuff. Yeah. And then Dot's going to come in with the harder demand. So, you know, Bet asks for, I want blonde hair, I want to be a comedian, and I want 20%. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then... She turns to Dot, and Dot says, you know, I want 50% of all box office profits. I got to say, like, I'll, I'll say it again later, too, but Sarah Paulson's killing it. She's such a good actress playing both these roles. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, they do have such distinct personalities, mm-hmm. you know, being right aside each other. I mean, because you have to imagine when she's acting these parts out, obviously, it's like there's n- she's not actually talking to anybody else. There's no, it's just probably like a... yeah. You know, she's. I don't know if they're using a green screen or CGI or how they're exactly doing the right. two heads, but she's just out oh, there by it's herself. It's always like this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she just has. She probably had a lot of cricks in her neck after this uh, yeah. season. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and so, you know, Elsa's kind of moving forward on it because what choice does she have? And of course, Elsa also thinks she's going to be going to Hollywood to be in mo- you know movies or whatever, or TV. She's going to be on TV. Mm-hmm. So we see Bet um, having her hair dyed blonde. Um, and we I, we get a little bit of interesting interaction while we have kind of the um, the beautician kind of dressing in bed all up as you know pretty and um, not that they were not pretty before but kind of making her look more um, kind of like what the hot fashion was at that time really mm-hmm. whereas you know yeah the you know, otherwise they I mean they I would say that dots pretty minimalistic in makeup and all that other you know I mean really they were dressed. They've been dressed for, I think they're supposed to be 30 years old, and they've been dressed the same way because they've never been outside their house, so their mom probably dressed them, and just that's what they had. And now, Bette has a chance to be like that comedian and, and famous and beautiful, and she's she's downright rude to Dot, which I, we haven't really seen that much of, you it, know, but it, she's... It just seemed, yeah, but it didn't even seem like it was that intentional. It seemed like she was just, like, happy. She was pretty really happy, stupid. yeah. yeah. Um, but they kind of they kind of went on about this for a second. I was wondering if you thought there was any significance. I think that Bet says we make the perfect before and after picture. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, damn, that's that's cold. 
I was wondering if you thought there was anything deeper to this or, or what, why they kind of lingered on it for a second. I, maybe it's supposed to be the first hint of um, Bet actually wanting her own identity instead of trying to be with her sister. So we're, that seed's been planted very heavily with that with the what she says about before and after. So um, I think maybe we're just because we've always known that Dot wants to detach herself, but now maybe we're seeing Bet's entertaining the idea. Mm-hmm. I definitely think there's some foreshadowing going on here of them being separate mm-hmm. entities a little bit, you know, looking so different now next to each other. Um, I was thinking, do they do they have to get two new legs? I think the way essentially what the surgery would be is that just one of, the, one of one of the heads is removed, and they like okay. move the head more to the middle, I guess, uh, or something like that. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's yes. like the other person gets control of all the limbs and legs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'm no uh, Siamese twin surgeon, but that is <laughs> yeah. kind of what I I believe you know what I've read as far as historical surgeries and stuff like that go. Um, so. We also see this as a device, maybe a little bit, that you know, maybe whatever goodwill that Bet built up with Dot by agreeing to leave Dandy's house and saying she always has with her sister, maybe it kind of goes away as Dot gets a little bit pissed at her for this. Right. And so um, that kind of works into Elsa's favor when she passes Dot a secret note um, that she later reads behind Bet's back, which essentially says um, that. I'll hook you up, girl. She'll give her the money to, you know, she basically says, what do you really want? I'll give you the money to do whatever you want. And I want to say that I loved the way they did this split screen, how it was just like the head floating in the... And uh, like facing you. Yeah. Directly the, to the TV or to the screen. Yeah, I was I was wondering if it was an homage to something that I wasn't connecting. Um, it reminds me of like a stage production, kind it of. It does. <laughs> it almost felt like Great and Powerful Oz a little bit, you know, where you just have a floating head, but... Um, I thought that was a, that was a cool yeah. trick, and I mean, especially because maybe it had to do with you know the twins being you know two distinct heads and stuff like that. You kind of have right. Elsa's disembodied head here too to just kind of add emphasis to that. Right. Um, the dang it, I wrote it down, but I don't have my notes in front of me. But the guy who directed this uh, episode, I thought th- it was a pretty good one. It's not. Um, it's not the one guy that we're used to um, with like the crazy shots. Um, oh yeah. But it was another guy, and I thought there's a lot of cool tracking shots and and like that that scene right there, the split screen and the and the floating head. That it was it was cool. It was a good, well done uh, episode. The director you're thinking of is Alfonso Gomez Rejon, I think. Right, right, right. And this um, wasn't him, but it, it was good. I thought. Yeah, you know, I thought it was very. It was, this episode was very well directed. Um, and so Dot responds very quickly to Elsa and, you know, says straight out, you know, I just want the separation surgery. You pay for that. We're in the gold. Um, here's the doctor's name. He did the surgery on the famous Brody Siamese twins. I want you to go track him down. I think he's in Chicago, I think mm-hmm, she says. Right. And I want you to go track him down. And um, basically, if you get the sur- make the surgery happen, that's all I want. And so I also liked how they did the disembodied thing here, too. But um, So she responded pretty quickly on that. And... Obviously, not very surprising to us that this is really what she wanted. In fact, I think when she said fifty thousand or fifty percent before, um, I don't know about you, but I kind of assumed this was obviously what she wanted the money for. Because what else do those girls? I mean, right? They're not for? frivolous, <laughs> right? I mean, it, that, and you know, that's well, that is. That's why she was saying, you know, I that has a little bit ball. of vanity. Yeah, that, yeah, she was kind of frivolous about it, but not very clearly had a plan. So this seems mm-hmm. to kind of be what her plan was all along, um, probably as soon as Dandy said he wasn't going to let them have the surgery. Right. So, you know, Stanley and Elsa are having dinner, and she explains to Stanley the situation with the twins um, and wants him to be the one to locate the doctor in Chicago. And I was wondering why maybe she asked him to do it, maybe because he's not as emotionally invested in the girls as everybody else. Um, I think it's because he has nothing else to do. <laughs> like, I, I really was thinking about this during this episode. All um, Stanley does is kind of go around and, like, hover over people or, like, give looks and make deals with people. So I think this is maybe just a storyline to get him to do something. But also, you know, he's supposed to be the manager, and I don't think he's doing a great job of doing that so far. But um, Elsa can can uh, maybe make him uh, do this for her. Right. And I mean, also, I mean, obviously it plays into the storyline perfectly because jackpot for him, he's been looking for a good reason to 
you know, get the girls to go take him to the museum because they're kind of like his, you know, um, holy grail of all the different freaks he could take back to the museum. And yep. here, Elsa's basically saying, once you get the doctor arranged, you can just take him right up to get their surgery. And so you can't help but feel like maybe that is going to be uh, something that is going to happen relatively soon. Yep. Uh, interesting development here at the same time, though. Ethel over here is Stanley suggesting that they mercy killed the twins, which I thought was a pretty ballsy... Th- I mean, obviously, oh. he feels out that Elsa doesn't like the twins very much. Right, right, exactly. Um, he he yeah. seems to be very intuitive and can kind of latch onto people's weaknesses and exploit them, um, whether overtly like he does Dell or whether kind of more subtly like he's doing to Elsa. But what is the significance of, of Ethel hearing overhearing that? I wanted to ask you that, because obviously, previous episode, we have heard Ethel uh, tell Elsa... That if she finds out that she hurt those girls, Ethel was going to murder um, Elsa with her bare hands. Right. So, what do you think? I mean, is is Ethel like in, in completely flipped now, and you think she'll have it out for Elsa? What's what's what, what's Ethel's plan here? Well, because of the girls' lie at this point in time, obviously she's. I mean. I would say she's somewhat giving Elsa the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, mm-hmm. she gives this whole speech at the end toward, to Jimmy about how the world is just a piece of shit and how you shouldn't trust yeah. anybody, basically. So, um, you know, it may end up being Ethel who saves the girls from Stanley in the end or who organizes some kind of thing that um, traps Stanley uh, somehow. So I think that obviously her overhearing that will come back to help the girls in one way or another because, I mean, that's a pretty significant... I mean, even though they were just... They weren't really going to mercy because he was kind of saying that in almost like a humorous way. Um, she kind of could get the feel of, from that that maybe Stanley is more on Elsa's side. A little about. shadier, yeah. Than well, and obviously, God. what a terrible thing to say that they're going to mercy yeah. kill these, these girls. Instead of helping them and separating them, let's kill them. Yes, right. And so now I want to move on to kind of what was the primary plot, which is kind of the Jimmy Dell plot, um, in my opinion, uh, mm-hmm. what we kind of focused on most, because we didn't even see Dell, I think, last episode at all. Um, you know, as Jimmy is singing his Nirvana song, we kind of have a montage here at the beginning of the episode. And it takes us back to the gay bar where... Um, Dell had had his relationship kind of blossom with Andy, Matt Bomer, who we mm-hmm. know was very viciously murdered by Dandy mm-hmm. um, and a couple episodes ago. And he's looking for Andy, who hasn't been seen. Um, and obviously Dell gets very pissed and he beats the shit out of a bartender. So I hope he's not happy, hoping to go back to that bar. Yeah, what an idiot. Don't. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of good advice. Don't fall in love with a hustler. That's great advice. Yeah, and well, you don't beat his face and, and he's the, yeah basically uh, you nailed it like don't go back to that bar Dale clearly has just like you know and I think we see it in this episode more than we ever have before but we've seen hints of it just these mm-hmm. vacillating emotions that go they can be positive on occasion mm-hmm. um, but they can also be like huge um, hugely destructive and he can't control his emotions at all. And so, of course, you know, he gets insulted. It's his natural reaction to not think about consequences and just beat the shit out of this bartender. Um, so, you know, who happens to see him act dramatically that he doesn't notice but Stanley. Stanley. Who happens to be at the gay bar, too. Because, as we know, uh, Stanley also is um, secretly gay. And so whether or not Stanley followed him there or just happened to conveniently see him there, it's not entirely made clear, but Stanley has a couple convenient things happen to him in this episode. The first one being that Elsa basically is going to put the twins in his hand. And the second one being, he actually sees, you know, Dell's secret, um, right here. And obviously knows the whole story about Dell and knows that Dell, you know, from this comment, he can kind of see what an alpha male mm-hmm. Dell thinks he is and how volatile he is. Right. So kind of uh, straying from Dell for a couple minutes, kind of a, a couple tangential story points that I think we should touch on. Uh, first one being, you know, we have Desiree and Ethel go to the doctor. We can remember that Ethel has cancer. I don't remember if it's colon cancer or liver, liver. cancer, isn't it, because of her yeah. drinking history. So she goes to go see that doctor that um, a couple episodes ago. Was sympathetic, nice. Was really nice. like humans. Mm-hmm. Until um, he, you know, said that he would remove... Um, Desiree's wiener. Yeah, and fix her all up so she's a normal lady. And um, Del went and broke both his hands. 
mm-hmm. but we also learned that the doctor has now died. Um, you know, his daughter apparently says that he shot himself. So, I, you know, I don't remember. Did we actually see this happen? I couldn't remember if we saw it happen no, or if we I, just saw it. I, I thought that too, but I don't think we did. Um, we saw the breaking of the hands and Dell basically just saying, don't you do that surgery on my wife or Desiree. I don't know if I forget they're married. Um, but uh, I, my question was, how would he pull the trigger if his hands are broken? Yeah, right. So it makes so, you wonder if maybe Dell did it. Right. And kind of you know set him up to do that, and of course you know the the daughter goes on this whole diatribe about how it was you ungodly freaks that drove him to it or whatever. But um, yeah. obviously, pretty terrible for both Desiree and um, Ethel because who's going to now treat her terminal cancer mm-hmm. for one thing, but also you know now who's Desiree going to go to to you know fix her Have back her, up? Yeah. But it, the important part, though, is that she now knows that this is possible and knows right. that she's not a hermaphrodite. And so now she can also, still you know, potentially go find a doctor somewhere else. Sure. Um, I love the two of these ladies together hanging out. They were pretty cool. They're, they're a good little duo. And I'm, I'm hoping that whatever Ethel figures out to do about Elsa when that comes to, that the, the, these two will be uh, teamed up together. Because all, all of Dell's old ladies, just the, the I mean, Kathy Bates and uh, um, Angela Bassett are just, oh, so cool together. I like I like their little friendship too. It makes yeah. the, both characters a lot more endearing. And another mm-hmm. thing I wanted to talk about before we talk more about Dell is Jimmy. Um, so Jimmy and Maggie are sleeping together, which I don't know is a huge surprise. I think they kissed for the first time intensely last episode, so it was kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. This was naturally where they were leading. Um, and he voices to Maggie that he's worried about the twins, uh, and you know she still wants him to leave. And run away with her because obviously she knows what Stanley's doing. But mm-hmm. Jimmy feels still a sort of loyalty to the people at the freak show who it seems like probably are not as um, able to take care of themselves. Right. Um, you know, whether that's Mopatite or Pepper or, you know, these Meep. different characters. Well, poor Meep, yeah. Well, I'm sure he still feels guilty about that too. So he kind of, he's torn and isn't exactly able to leave him. Although he is still apparently is his long-term plan. But he's also right. paranoid about Dandy still because he's kind of starting to put those clues together. Mm-hmm. He asks her if she remembers what the clown's voice sounded like. And she just wants to move on. I also think that part of the reason she wants to leave now is because she wants to leave before Jimmy finds out the truth about her. And, you know, mm, the truth about her and Stanley. Right, that's a good point. We've had a couple people, uh, it's a couple different people on Facebook and email, um, have some ideas about the Stanley-Maggie relationship. I think one person thought that maybe we'll find out Maggie is his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be interesting, and I, I, I would still hope this comes that we get a little bit more background story on them. Yeah. Um, because it seems like there are some pieces we're not entirely aware of. It's still not clear why she, you know, when she's not on board with this whole thing, why she somewhat feels indebted to him. Okay, so back to Dell. Um, at the freak show, we see Stanley taunting Dell while he's hitting hitting the bell on the big strongman thing, and I, I really liked. I thought this scene was very well acted by Dennis O'Hare. I mean, I oh, really yeah. he's great. I I liked how all his um his double entendres and how you know the way he yeah. kind of was toying <laughs> with so Dell this episode. And, yeah, it's great. He's doing a great it, job. It was gross, but I thought he was doing a real... I mean, that's what he's supposed to be, so I thought he was right. doing a great job of it. Um, and he lets on to Dell that he knows about the gay bar. and um, You know, Dell is, of course, threatening to beat him up, too, but Maggie's conveniently there acting as a witness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he basically takes Dell into the tent and says, you know, you have some of my favorite moral... or my favorite qualities I like in a person. You have no moral code. You can kill a man with your bare hands, and you have to do whatever I say. So basically, he's setting it up for Dell to be his hitman. Mm-hmm. Um, he right. has Dell in the palm of his hand, and he also happens to have a gun and threatens to shoot Dell's balls off, which I thought was kind of entertaining. <laughs> um, so he's also threatening him with a gun, which obviously Dell can still sneak up on Stanley and kill him, and maybe Dell will end up killing Stanley, and that'll be his kind of uh, right. I feel like it's kind of easy. He's always hanging around, not doing anything. Yeah, and maybe that'll be some form of his redemption is that he, he ends up killing Stanley at one point. Interesting thing to note about Stanley here. Uh, the gun he has is called a Luger, I believe. And it was the uh, 
standard it's a german gun that was issued to all the nazis it was like the standard nazi oh. officer gun in the second world war Interesting. and so um it, i mean if you look at the gun it's a very specific looking gun and so it kind of makes you wonder what the significance of it was i mean is stanley german himself does he have some kind of german background did he take that gun from steal it from elsa maybe or something like that it just was kind of oddly specific that he happened to have um this german gun on him but uh, Stanley basically tells Dell, "You've got to kill a, you've got to kill a freak for me. You have one day." And so Dell pretty much submits quickly. And obviously, at this, I think at this point he says something along the lines of like, "Kill one of my own." Like he's all um, abashed by this. I mean, he he doesn't seem to have a problem kicking their ass or calling them freaks. But now he seems to be admitting to Stanley that he considers himself a freak too by calling him his own. I wonder. I mean. What is Dell's relationship, do you think, to the freaks in this show? How does he feel like he fits in? Because at this point, he's kind of expressing some kind of camaraderie with him. But before, he was separating himself by basically talking about how, you know, he's not a, a visible freak like everybody else is. Right. You know, thinking back to that scene at the diner. Yeah, he passes completely normal. He's just a big dude that has a temper. I, I, I mean... W- I didn't know at this point, but obviously we learned a little bit later that his family all had those lobster claws. So he grew up in a family that had uh, physical deformities, and maybe he has this sense of guilt because he didn't. Absolutely. And maybe he is also, you know, maybe he thinks of himself uh, as being a freak on the inside. And he is obviously very ashamed of being a homosexual. Mm-hmm. And so maybe to some degree he associates that with part of his own freakishness or something like that. And in that way he... Totally could be. It's 1953, you know. Right. So maybe in that way he's also finding camaraderie with these guys. Regardless, he does feel some... He does seem somewhat... Um, although he, he's, he, he goes and does it pretty quickly, he doesn't seem... I mean, he does seem somewhat... Um, unhappy about the prospect of having to go kill one of the freaks. And so um, we we get the scene, of course, where he sneaks into Amazon Eve's trailer and tries to, like, what, what, put up... <laughs> what are you doing, Del? Like, this is your first choice? Come on, man. What well, maybe idiot. He, maybe he wanted it to just... So that way it didn't feel at first, like, you know, uh, too easy. He wanted someone who would at least put up a little bit of a fight or something like that. <laughs> Uh, not entirely sure what was going through his mind, but she doesn't exactly seem like the obvious choice when obviously you have a little La Petite, La Petite and, and Pepper and the other and her her brother. Who, yeah, who seem like, you know, they're um, who seem very innocent and childlike as well, who seem like they can be more easily taken advantage of. And so he doesn't exactly seem like the easiest target. Or, or she doesn't seem like the easiest target, but he he goes for it anyway and gets the chloroform in the towel, sneaks in. There. Oh, that was I thought it was hilarious. I the, loved like, it. That it little, was great. like boxing scene. Yeah. And then she throws him out and says, "Who's the strong man now?" Yeah. Did you think that he was actually gonna? I thought he was gonna actually kill her. I thought she was gonna disappear. So. That they did a good job with tension in that fight because she had the upper hand. Um, a little bit, and then and then it looked like he was actually going to take her out. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I really like Amazon Eve. Um, but I did think that there was, there was a split second there. I was like, oh, she's she's gone. But yeah. but then she fought back, and she's a badass, and I love her. Yeah, I thought that was super cool, and I really enjoyed her at that time. And mm-hmm. so, you know, in, in the degree to which she beats up Del, too, he's just bleeding out of every orifice. <laughs> yeah. pretty, pretty fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. And so the next day, obviously, she goes and reports what happened to Ethel and Jimmy and Desiree and everybody. And, um, and this is the point, I think, that Ethel gives that really dark speech about how terrible the world is. And she talks about wanting to sneak into Dell's trailer and kill him. And Jimmy's kind of like, mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, <laughs> whoa Mom. Uh, let's go and hear his story first. But Ethel's like, you know, I was too naive for too long. And maybe it's the cancer that's done this to her. But she's just like, now, well, maybe, you know, hearing about the doctor and stuff, too. Ethel's kind of come to this really dark worldview that's just like, you know, their life's busy. I think she says life's biggest joke is hope that the world will write, that the world will right itself. Um, there's just no justice in the world. And that's something that Jimmy, she's really trying to teach Jimmy. You're being naive about that. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody has goodness in them. Do you think that's a realistic approach or is it more of a cynical uh, uh, um, position to have on life? I think it's certainly cynical, but you got to remember this is 1953, and these people—I mean, 
we've seen how they've been persecuted by the police, by each other. I mean, how they're not taken yeah. seriously, um, how they've been taken advantage of, um, you know, how people treat them for just the way they look. And I mean, you can't really falter for having that worldview because at this time when everybody is so kind of backwards about everything and not very accepting, that was the reality they really right. faced. Uh, so Jimmy says, whoa, 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 you know, I'm going to go talk to Dell and I'll handle him for you. Don't don't freak out, Mom. You're, you know, obviously it seems like, especially probably now that she knows her cancer can't even be treated. She's just mm-hmm. re- is realizing her death sentence. Right. Um, and so, but Jimmy doesn't know that. I don't think she's told him anything about the cancer yet. And so she, um, Jimmy goes to go talk to Dell and they decide they're going to go have a drink in town man to man. Uh, at this point in time, I don't know if you noticed this. I thought it was kind of interesting. Stanley's kind of watching them from afar. Well, no, of co- I mean, I'm sure you probably didn't notice this. I didn't. I didn't think about it at first until they're kind of um, he's starting to get Jimmy drunk. But I know that you know I, when I thought back about this, I thought, oh, Stanley's looking at him, and then you see Dell's eyes dart down at Jimmy's hands. Mm-hmm. And so it makes you think, and then you're thinking, oh, well, okay. So he's thinking this is another freak that I could potentially right take instead. Right. Exactly. So that's when we kind of, you know, and it, it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly what Dell's plan is. It's getting Jimmy, let's get Jimmy drunk enough so he, that way he's an easy kill. Um, and I thought that in this scene, they, I mean, there's some real bonding that obviously takes place here and then in the alley. We'll talk about that in a second. But this was one of the better scenes I've seen Evan Peter do in maybe since season one. I actually was going to say between Michael Chiklis and Evan Peters in this, the, they both were or Evan Peter or Peters. I forget. Anyway, it's P- Peters. Yeah. With Peters. S. Okay. He, um, yeah. Great job. The, the, the way that scene develops from the uncomfortable, awkward, like forcing yourself to drink to the camaraderie. And I am a sucker for uh, father son relationships uh, and bonding and getting depicted in a, in a reconciliation way. So I loved it. And like you were saying, they both uh, were great actors in this. Great scene. Right. So we start off with Jimmy basically warning Dell about the lynch mob and, you know, a mentality that all these women are having and how, um, you know, he Dell better get out of there if he doesn't want to get hurt. Of course, Dell is Dell is so misogynistic. He doesn't think anything about a group of women that's trying to hurt him. Um, But his mind is probably also on, you know, Jimmy cutting Jimmy's arms off or whatever he plans on doing here. Until, of course, we, we start seeing with, you know, Jimmy's having trouble handling the bottle of alcohol with his gloves. And so he takes his his gloves off and, you know, we have a focus for a minute on his lobster hands. And we have Jimmy tell this, this story about how – an emotional story about how the circus or the freak show was in Wisconsin. And for some reason they, like – they couldn't spend the winter or they normally go to Florida for the winter, but they couldn't go one year for some reason or another. So they spent the whole year or they spent the whole winter in Wisconsin where he got to wear his gloves the whole time and how, how it just made him feel like a normal person because he got to yeah. walk around with those gloves. And I thought that was I so mean, sad. It wasn't, it was a great story and it was very, mm-hmm. um, it was well told by Evan Peters for sure. Yeah. And also I liked the, the fact, you know, the story he tells about Mappetite getting the rabbit to, that she mm-hmm. wore. Like, oh my gosh. Really I good. love that. So it was cute. It just good little details. I thought this this was an excellent scene, mm-hmm. and and we see Dell kind of falling for this story. I mean, I mean, emotionally falling for falling for right. it, and like and feeling endeared to Jimmy, his son, and saying, you know, you have nothing to be ashamed of. I'll break anyone's skull who looks at you funny. Oh, and it was like I loved it, was, it. It was pretty sweet, you know. And then mm-hmm. Jimmy has too much to drink and runs outside to puke and. Dell goes out there and grabs the brick, and I'm just thinking the whole time, is, is he going to do it? And Yeah. How know, dark is the show going to be? Right. And and he, it, he doesn't. Drunk Jimmy turns to him and says, I just need you to, you know, I know I've known the whole time that you're my dad. You know, I knew about the famous Toledo lobster clan of your dad and brothers who all had the lobster hands. You did this to me. And he just says, you know, admit it. You're my dad. Admit it. You're my dad. Oh, my heart was breaking. Oh, and I Del, loved it. Dell drops the brick, and they hug each other, and <clears throat> they reconcile. Um, it was a, I mean, it was, it was a great sequence. It was pretty, it was pretty sweet. And so, it'll be very interesting how this relationship then develops for a number of reasons. I mean, we see them become drunk buddies basically in the morning, stumbling back to camp, and we see Elsa and Desiree both going out there to shied them in, which was hysterical Loved on both their it. accounts <laughs> yeah both both Desiree and Elsa they're just like out there like posing like I think Desiree has a hand on the hip 
In their nightgowns. Yeah. In their nightgowns, and Elsa's there with her arms crossed, and I was like, oh, such powerful women, I love it. And Dell's Del bl- just a dummy. He's like, this is my son, and I don't care who knows it. And you know, they're all making smart-ass comments like, oh, after 25 years, very big of you to finally admit that. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> uh, then we have a couple interesting moments. Dell tells Jimmy not to let the women tell him what to do. That's the rule his father always told him. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of see Dell pushing some misogyny into Jimmy. I'm interested to hear what you th- where you think this relationship is going to go. Is Jimmy going to start um, taking on some of the traits of his dad now and like not wanting to believe all the bad things about him because he cares about his dad now and maybe thinking all the women are out to get him and being misogynistic himself? Or do you think that he's going to catch on pretty quickly to what Dell really is? I think he'll catch on. Um, I don't. I think their relationship is going to be strained. It's not going to be great. But they, they've obviously uh, gotten past this point where they're acknowledging their, you know, relationship, the paternal relationship. Um, but I don't think Jimmy's going to take on the misogyny because he's way too loyal and feels too responsible for taking care of all those people um, that a lot of them are women. I don't. I just don't see him, and he loves. Uh, it seems like he loves Maggie, so I, I, I doubt it. Um, especially he was raised by his mom. You know, he's too sensitive. He's too sweet. I, I agree with you. I th- and I mean, I think that's only exemplified in the next scene where Jimmy, you know, Dell takes him into his trailer to fall, you know, fall asleep on the bed, and, mm-hmm. and Jimmy says to him, "I'm going to say something I've never said in my whole life. I've got a dad." And it was a very heartbreaking moment. It was very. Oh, sweet. I thought he said good night, dad. Oh, did he say good night, Dad? I thought I think he said, said good night, Dad. And I was like, oh, oh. Good, uh, yes, okay, it was probably good night, Dad, because that makes more sense. Uh, but <laughs> I got a little teary. <laughs> it was it was a very yeah, it was a pretty sweet moment. Sweet. And, you know, and it's it's just counterbalanced by by the fact that Stanley's waiting outside his trailer and still pressuring him to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking at my point, who did you think he did you think at this point that he was still going to go kill somebody? And if so, who did you think he was going to go after? I thought he was going to, I thought he wasn't going to do it or he was going to kick the shit out of, um, Stanley, <laughs> yeah. but I was praying he wasn't going to go for Ma Petite. I know he was one cousin, wasn't going to go for Amazon Eve again yeah. and he wouldn't do Ethel and I, I don't, I don't know. It, I'm yeah. I just got really sad after this, who he did choose. Right. Well, he does. I mean, as you said that night, he does go to Ma Petite and we have this sequence where he gets her this nice, he gives her a gift, a nice new dress, and she goes and tries it on, and you know comes back and gives she gives him a big hug, and he like cries as he breaks her neck. It was like it was very disturbing. It was. Um, I had to turn away a few times because oh, I mean, it was terrible, really sad, and that I mean especially after we've had like the two almost death sequences from Mappetit. This poor, poor little thing had a. She, she, she's been through so much ah. and I mean especially you know after Jimmy has just told him like you know how I think he says to you know how much he loves that little you know that little yes that little broad yeah and he tells him that story and it's like you know you you, tr- you like partly redeem yourself by like finally being you know coming to terms with your son and being like a good dad for once and then you immediately go and like you that is the one th- I mean obviously the thing Jimmy is most self-conscious about was not being able to protect Meep and is, like, most defensive of, like, someone coming in and killing these the other freaks, and especially the defenseless freaks right. in the freak show. And that's what Del turns around and essentially betrays him right away. So, I mean, and it's, it seems like it was hard for him, but he still does it. And so I was going to ask, like, what do you make of Del at this point? What's going through his head as he does this i mean what makes him decide that his masculinity or like preserving his secret about andy or whatever is more important to him than than, someone's life right especially someone's life and and like and so significantly hurting his son that he clearly i mean i genuinely think that i think he authentically does care for jimmy Mm -hmm. and so i just i mean i'm trying to understand what's What's yeah, I, he's Dell's conflicted. Absolutely, you know he's got that struggle internally about you know doing the right thing, but also you know he obviously has quite the temper and 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 reacts really aggressively toward a lot of situations. But I think it comes through that conflict comes through in that scene with Mappetit because you can see his eyes I think watering up a little bit, like he's having trouble doing it. He could he could have killed her like that if he wanted to. But it, he kills her with a bear hug, basically. But, oh, God, when her arms are and her f- little fingers are 
oh. drop, and uh, I was hoping he was going to stop. You know, we never even so got a full backstory on poor Ma Petit. I know. And the episode ends with her in that jar. You know, back oh. at the museum, we unveil the jar. And this time, I mean, obviously they faked us out plenty of times with, like, mm-hmm. real fantasy. But this time I think it's for real, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think I wish they hadn't faked us out so many times before because I think I would have felt a lot more about her death. Because um, the first few times I was like, okay, I've, you know, the second time, then this third time it's like, well, is she going to die or not? <laughs> Even though I don't well, want her to. Well, and I feel like it, w- it would have been a lot more resonant of a scene for them to have, like, pulled that curtain off and we would have seen her little body in there for the first time we've ever seen it. Instead mm-hmm. of having, like, seen this happen already in, you know, like, the past whatever episodes when they've been imagining doing that to her. Right. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I think that had, you know, those fantasies have been a cheap trick and probably one of my least... The fantasies and the songs are the two and things. The songs, if I could remove yeah. them from this, this season, yeah. I, I would extricate them. But I think... This scene where he kills Mapetite also kind of felt like a, the at the the point in the episode where it's like oh yeah this is American horror story we gotta we gotta do some horror because there wasn't a lot of horror in this episode. Well, I want to talk to you now about maybe the uh, part of the story of this mm-hmm. episode that maybe was the most horrifying, mm. and that is the story of Paul and uh, Penny, I believe, which I, Penny. I I kept calling her Maggie last episode, and I apologize for that, but her name is Penny, the candy striper. She and she is in real life Meryl Streep's daughter. Oh, that I knew I recognized her before. What's yeah? Uh, what's she her was name? in Coven. Um, Gabby Gra- or Gummer? Grace, Grace Gummer. Grace, Grace Gummer. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doing some she, solid acting as well. <laughs> oh, she, that's right. She played like the. Um, did the she old, play the, the Coven from like the old days? Right. She was in the Coven from the old days. Uh, yeah. I think she was in the Coven that was she in the Coven that stabbed Saxman? Maybe. I, yes, I think okay. that's yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so she she was in season three, but she's obviously um, played a pretty prominent role in this season, too. So back in that, you know, montage we have during Jimmy's rendition. Of, uh, <laughs> that was the, the biggest eye roll I've ever seen you do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we learned that Paul is obviously still on bed rest from his, his very intense bullet wound. Um, and, Stab you know, wound. Penny's there taking care of him. Um or sorry, stab, bullet wound. She threw a knife at him. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. It, just, it just bled so much. I was thinking it was a, a bullet wound for some reason. Yeah, um, yeah sorry. Knife wound. <laughs> and um, we see more of her. This this whole like mm. sequence was just so weirdly. It seemed out of nowhere, but it was very like it was very creepy and terrifying. So I've got a lot of questions about it that I want to ask you about. So mm-hmm. we see Penny back confronting her dad again, the same dad we saw from last episode, um, who has like this very bizarre, um, you know, control issues with his daughter. He's day drinking and basically threatens to kill her. Um, you know, cause she says something to him like, you wouldn't kill me. And he kind of says like, what makes you think I wouldn't? And he gives this whole monologue about how, you know, she talks about how he's too vain or something like that mm-hmm. to kill his own offspring when she's the only person who bears his name or whatever. But he basically mm-hmm. says, uh, it's not that he's vain, but he's a he has a lot of pride and he's an electrician and people need to trust uh trust him to let them into their homes and that like this trust is what his business is built on. So by ca- kind of cavorting with these freaks, she's undermining his his business? <laughs> I didn't really. It didn't it. like it. it, it just, well, it seemed like the ramblings of a of a psycho person, really. Yeah, right. And the dad, whoever I don't know the actor's name offhand, but he's doing a good job selling that like unstable father. Uh, he made a pretty good nut, I would say. Yeah. So she <laughs> says she's going to leave forever, and Dad says, "Well, before you go, I invited uh, my friend Morris, the artist, over." Oh, Morris. Which is this, uh, he looks like some kind of tattooed guy. I, I mean, we can only assume that her dad, I mean, her dad probably paid this guy to come in and do this. Um, so what they ended up doing is knocking her out, tattooing her face with all sorts of like weird scale thing kind of things, shaping part of her head so she looks like Larry from the uh, Three Stooges. So she kind of has the tufts on two sides and forking her tongue. Uh, mm. When she woke up in that scene, that was pretty horrifying. I don't well, know how I you was, felt about yeah, that. Yeah, that was pretty gross. I I was curious what they were gonna do, and yeah, that was so, pretty disturbing. So what the fuck is going on with her dad? I mean, <laughs> he's I don't know, but he's you know 
I, I'm I'm definitely sensing that there's going to be a, um, a, a like a few more confrontations between him and the freaks possibly, and there, and maybe and Paul's going to have to take him out or 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 his daughter's going um, Penny's going to have to take out her dad or something like that because um, he is messed up. And I guess this is just like Dandy. This is another example of a person who clearly, you know. May seem normal on the outside, but is you know a twisted, evil, horrible person yeah. on the inside, and that that kind of quote unquote freakishness is uh, far more devastating and damaging than you know these outward freaks that are in the freak show who are all really nice people. Right. Another hammering over the head with society is the real freak show. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, but in a very dark, twisted, uh, mm, pretty terrifying yeah. way. I kind of liked it though, in, as far as the storyline. I was like, "Ooh, it like, didn't that's a it di- unexpected move, cool." I agree. It didn't really make any sense. It didn't really fit yeah. things, but it was like, "This is effed up enough that I'm entertained by it." Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. it's <was> creepy. <laughs> uh, so, and then she goes back to see Paul, and, and good on Paul for like, you know, feeling ter- you know, you know, saying like, "What if? What has he done to you?" And, mm-hmm. and I mean. Obviously, Paul's a nice guy, and I can only mm-hmm. imagine he's going to take care of her, and she'll probably be a normal part of the freak show now. But like you said, I think that I think Daddy's going down after this. I don't mm-hmm. think that this is the end of Dad. So, um, yeah, that was. Uh, I guess without any any crazy murder scenes from Dandy, that was kind of our our little bit of horror for this part of the episode, and so. I want to end with a couple kind of more thematic questions for you before we uh, rate this episode. First one I want to ask you about is there is a lot, and we've had a couple of people um, email us and message us on Facebook about this. There's a ton of red in this episode. There is the color red everywhere. Um, you have it, you know, in Dandy's room and what Dandy's wearing. I think, uh, I think Dell's wearing a red shirt at one point. Obviously, all the tents and kind of the freak show stuff um, has red on it. And I think, I mean, I think Amazon Eve's red robe top. is red, or has a, yeah, red top. And I think that Desiree's nightgown is red too. I think there's just like red everywhere. Is, yeah. So and also Stanley talking about the red meat too. There's mm-hmm. like they're beating us over the head with, with red. red. Um, and red has a lot of, of meaning um, in movies and in, in kind of in stories, literature, historically. I was wondering what you thought the significance of it was. Because mm, usually you think of red as, um, you know, the color of blood. So mm-hmm. dressing or, or also uh, kind of it also could be kind of a, a villainous or a, a devil quality to it. Um, I guess I haven't really if it was strategically on one or two people, then I would think more about it but i haven't noticed uh uh them doing it in a pattern that suggests a certain theme that i can think of with but instead of just using red as kind of one of those colors or triggers that will make you think of blood and scary stuff what do you think well i mean i I think that obviously it has very dark connotations in terms of blood and stuff like that but also i if i haven't made this clear enough already i'm an in I love, absolutely love The Shining, and I love Stanley Kubrick movies. But it always, you know, when I think of red, I always think of red rum from The Shining, mm-hmm. which is murder backward, obviously. And you know, we end up getting at the end the murder of Ma Petite. And so, in some ways, you know, I can't help but wonder if it's foreshadowing not just of this murder, but of more murders to come. Especially when you know you see Dandy wearing that red, um, and you know he's going to be bringing, you know, he's definitely going to be bringing more death to this show. Right. And so. I'm going to keep that, an eye out for that and like kind of keep an eye on who's wearing it and what happens to them. Maybe there's something in there. Well, because I think Dell is – like I said, I think Dell's wearing red too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean it doesn't really obviously make sense for like Desiree and Amazon even stuff like that. I think that it was just kind of – in a lot of ways it was ubiquitous. But then again we have Stanley eating the red meat and he wants mm-hmm. to kill the twins. Right. Um, so speaking of Stanley, why does Stanley not want to get his own hands dirty anyway? He just is like manipulating everybody else. But is, I know. Even I Maggie but won't actually kill somebody himself. Yeah. It, 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 at first, it kind of made sense a little bit because he's like, lure someone to the barn and we'll take care of it. But now he's just outsourcing all of his work because mm-hmm. he needs to go drink at the gay bar and lurk around the the, the whole uh, freak show grounds. 
I mean, maybe he thinks that he's just this master manipulator, and so if he never actually does anything, then no one can ever blame anything on him. Yeah. Right. And so he's kind of like the mastermind in that way behind it. Um, other question for you. What, how do you think, you know, especially considering how he was after Meep died, what's going to happen to Jimmy when he learns about what happened to Mappetit? I think he's going to lose his shit for sure. I mean, that's the whole camp is going to go crazy. Even Elsa, uh, you know, they love uh, Lil Mappetit. It's I'm mad and like I started to kind of come around on Dell and now I I'm a little conflicted on how I feel about him but with this death it's pretty I think it's going to be out there that uh, once it's known that Dell did it um, and that Stanley is responsible also I I think they're just gonna there's there's no way th- uh, there's no road to redemption for Dell mm-hmm. after killing the most smallest defenseless person also Mappetit what are you doing accepting gifts in the middle of the night. But what's she going to do? Like, just scream yeah. or something like that when he's in her... I mean, yeah. her voice is just so soft to begin oh. with, you know? I mean, it's so high-pitched, you know. It's... I think that she probably has no choice but to be trusting of people, you know? Yeah. And, and she she's just so, in many ways, like, very innocent and childlike and trusting, which makes it all the worse that he... You know, and maybe that was the difference between, like, why he went for Eve first is, like... It's not like killing a child, you know. Eve knows what's is is worldly enough and stuff like that. But right. you're right. This is, I mean, it's unforgivable. No matter how much he tried to redeem himself with Jimmy, I mean, yeah, I agree um, with you. The uh, the other thing I was thinking is no more ma petite like popping out of birthday presents and cakes and <laughs> and I, I uh, I'm just sad. Yeah, I know. That's that's a big loss. A really sad loss. And the last thing I want to talk about, actually, and um, I, I should have sent this to you before, but I didn't have a chance to. I read it actually right before we jumped on here. It's a, a really great article, well, a really interesting article I read in Vulture today uh, called American Horror Story Needs to Institute Some Rules Before It Spirals Out of Control. Mm. And, I don't, and I encourage everybody to go read that on Vulture.com. And I don't agree with everything it says, but the, basically the argument that this guy makes is that he, he likes the show a lot. But that he feels like, especially um, in this season, but in you know in Coven as well, that he's not as big a fan as the season cohesively. What brings him back to the show is like key scenes. You know, he watches the show for like two or three key scenes that he just thinks are fantastic, and um, he feels like you know between he talks about disla- you know feeling how, uh, you know the show feeling disjointed, how the songs. Um, will be in some episodes but won't be in others and then like won't really make sense for the characters like in Jimmy's case and kind of some of the other inconsistencies that have, have been happening here and there and I was wondering what you feel um, in terms of the show as kind of a cohesive plot this season or like what what keeps bringing you back to the show because obviously we've talked about you know parts of it we maybe don't like as much as past seasons and stuff like that I mean from what right. I just described, would you agree with a point like that, or what do you think? I, I do agree to an extent. I think they do need to kind of blow it up and, and try something different in season five or six. or And I'm going to tune in no matter what, because I, I do love the show. Because I like the horror element. I like the some of the dark comedy, and the the actors in it are fantastic. Um, the, one of the things that I, I was reading recently, too, was, and I was talking to my sister about this, um, a lot of the characters feel recycled. Like Jessica Lang is always this maternal um, uh, or matriarchal uh, figure in some type of a little society, and she's always lo- about to lose her power over them. And it's her trying to, you know, fight the younger generation or the new powers that are trying to come and take something away. Um, and it's kind of like, I, and Jessica Lang's great at it. I love it. She's fantastic. But. It's kind of getting a little tired after season four now. I'd like to see them, you know, shake it up enough uh, with storylines so so it becomes a, a little different and not as predictable. Um, we've had the outcasts versus society storyline every <laughs> every uh, season, so it's getting a little a little repetitive. Um, a little I don't know. What, what do you think? I think you're definitely right about that, and I think that you know, I think what we end up latching on to, um, you know, the Dandy, for instance, mm-hmm. and the different characters that um, Francis Conroy ends up playing that are so different but end up being so fantastic. Oh yeah, are are kind of the parts that make the show really stand out for me. Are like these new, interesting things from season to season. 
Also, like, um, Twisty being a really interesting character when he was still alive. Um, and, and kind of this crazy thing that we just said happened even with, you know, um, Penny the Candy Striper and her dad and stuff like that, you know. Um, I think we end up, when we talk about this stuff and we talk about the scenes we like, we end up gravitating toward the things that are a little bit more unique and, and new to us instead of, and I think that you're right, there's these... Themes just a little bit get beat over the head, you know, and we talk about recurring themes in every season, and there are a lot of those, and I think that's intentional to some degree, um, mm-hmm. but I think it's it's possible to um, take these these kind of themes to the next level or have a little bit new takes on them instead of feeling, ins- I mean, and it's, it's not always the case, but feeling in a lot of situations um, a little spent. Right. Um, but I definitely do feel like, I'm, I am with you, I'm going to keep coming back to the show because I do enjoy... I mean, the show's fun. You can't. You, it's fun. You, you have to say the show is very fun, and I can't help but but feel like there's an always. I do become endeared to the characters. Is another thing, mm-hmm. and there's always at least like four scenes that I'm like, those scenes were great. Like for instance, in this one, Amazon Eve kicking Dell's ass. The mm-hmm. great scenes between um, Jimmy and Dell at the bar and in the alley, and then. Um, Penny, this candy striper, like waking up to the new mm. like, horror that awaited her. Agreed. Yep. Oh, and also like the split screen between um, mm-hmm. when they're passing the notes between Elsa and Bet and Dot. Right. I mean, there's those moments that just are, are I think are, are really make make fantastic TV, and I really do enjoy them. So I think it's interesting, and I do encourage everybody to go and read it. But I guess that's kind of our take on um, where the, know, where the show's at. <laughs> the greater opinion of of kind of yeah, where the show's at right now. But I'm still excited to see what happens next. Um, and kind of to sit on this for a couple of weeks and see what's going to happen or think about what's going to happen next. Um, before we talk about kind of the preview for the next episode, what do you give this episode in terms of rating? I give this uh, four sad clowns. I actually really liked this episode. It, it was kind of little um, soap opery with the, with the, some, the father-son relationship stuff, but I liked it. And the surprise uh, end with Penny becoming a freak uh, and how demented her father is. Uh, and even though it was sad, the stakes have finally raised a little bit for deaths with Ma Petite getting a uh, kick in the bucket. Um, I also am surprised that I'm giving it that high of a score because usually the dandy storylines are the ones that have done been the most successful for me. So th- this is kind of a welcome surprise. I, I, I liked it a lot. What, what did you What do you give it? You know, I have to admit that coming into this conversation, um, especially like immediately after I watched the episode, I was not particularly high on it and I was thinking I was going to be harsher but the more we talked about it and broke it down and stuff like that the more parts of it I, I realized I, I really did enjoy <laughs> and so you know I was thinking I was going to give it another three and a half which I think is what I gave last week's episode but I think I'm going to give it a four two because the more I think about it there were those moments that really like stood out to me as excellent scenes and I really right. liked um, and there were a lot of there's a lot of parts that I'm really excited to see what's going to happen next with them um, and so I didn't I, so that's a that's an eight. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. I mean, we did, have we had a nine yet this season? Um, I don't I think, remember. We certainly haven't had a nine and a half. I, I I like to hope that you know. I like to think that those are still coming toward the end because it's fun. Oh to yeah. To the, the, I mean, the Christmas episodes are usually pretty good too. So yes, they are. No, it's um, fun to look forward to. And I mean, obviously, the finale is always exciting. Yeah. I so I didn't get to see the preview for the upcoming episode. What what's ha- what happens in it? Okay, so if you're does Gabourey you, show up yet? I'm waiting for her. Yeah, so if you if you haven't um, if you don't want to know, then this is probably your time to shut off the podcast. But uh, here's what happens: um, what we do see previews is that Gabourey does arrive, um, and we see her kind of being a force uh, to counteract Dandy and Gloria. Nice. Um, we also see Gloria at one point, I think, holding a gun, and so it's kind of like. But it, what's unclear is whether or not uh, she is joining with Dandy and going to kind of become a crazy killer herself, or if she's turning <laughs> on Dandy and kind of kind of decided mm. it's time to protect the world from her child. Mm-hmm. And so um, that'll be interesting to see that kind of triangle there, because obviously Gabrielle is going to want to know what the hell happened to her mother. Where's my mom? And is going to do some investigating. So that's going to be something else that Dandy's going to have to figure out how to deal with. Um, 
And we do see some conflict, it looks like, with um, Penny's dad. He does come back in the story, and we maybe see some potential retribution. Mm. Uh, And we also see, obviously, accusations um, being flung at Dell, which is about what we expected. Um, But we don't get any previews of, like, for instance, what Jimmy's reaction is when... um, Mm -hmm. He they find out Ma Petit. Right. right. And so there's still a lot of stuff that's going to be a mystery to look forward to. But I think there's... Awesome. I mean, hell, I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for uh, joining us and hanging with us. Uh, Chris, where can people find and follow more of your uh, witty rep, uh, repartee <laughs> this week? I am on Instagram and Twitter, at Chris Husted. Chris with a K. What about you, Tyler? I am on Instagram and Twitter as well, at TJMoss11. Um, before we go, I'd like to remind you all to please comment and, and leave uh, your discussion questions and all that fun stuff on Facebook at facebook.com slash Just American Horror Story Podcast. Check us out. Uh, send us comments and questions, and we talk about them on air sometimes at uh, thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. We love that. And, of course, um, rate us, review us at... I, are on iTunes, This American Horror Story Podcast. And we're on Stitcher, too. I don't mention that enough. We're on Stitcher as well. So check us out on all those um, venues. And I hope everyone has a, a great and uh, terrifying Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And if you guys are downloading this while you're traveling, uh, wherever you're going for Thanksgiving, safe travels. Safe travels and happy hauntings. All right, till next time. Bye, everybody. Stop me now, listen to me now I'm lasting 20 rounds And if you want me, then come on get me now Is you with me now? Then biggie, biggie bounce I know you dig the way I switch my style Holla, holla People sing around, now people gather around Now people jump around Get your freak on, get your freak on